Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Luke 21. Open up to Luke chapter 21. And stand for the reading of God's word. We'll read verses 1 through 4 of Luke 21. This is the word of the Lord. And he looked up, Jesus looked up, and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw a poor widow putting in two small copper coins. And he said, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all of them. For they out of their surplus put into the offering, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had to live on. This is the word of the Lord. Be seated. Now remember, Jesus is, is in the midst of battle. He entered Jerusalem for this last week of work before his death and his resurrection. And it's been nothing but confrontation after confrontation for him. Remember, just days before, he turned over the tables of the money changers in the temple. And he's been hanging out in the temple, being confronted by all the powers that be, and teaching. Verse 47 of chapter 19 reminds us of the forces against Jesus and their hope. The chief priests and the scribes and the leading men among the people were trying to destroy him. They question his authority. They attempt to get him in a bind concerning his views of state authority. The Sadducees try to get him into a theological bind by asking him about Leverite marriage and its implications for marriage in the life to come. And Jesus warns those who love him and are following him at the end of chapter 20 about these enemies. He says this, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love respectful greetings in the marketplaces and chief seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets who devour widows' houses and for appearance sake offer long prayers. They will receive greater condemnation. Now notice that Jesus mentions widows in that condemnation of the scribes. He says that these scribes devour widows' houses. And then along comes this poor widow in the temple. And all of our conceptions about what constitutes generosity are challenged by this passage. The scribes, the scribes are known, certainly by Jesus, they're known to take advantage of widows. And they prefer the rich and the perks of the rich, right? They want those seats of honor. They want what the rich can give to them. Jesus brings their wickedness and their greed to light by pointing out the righteous and faithful actions of an impoverished widow. This woman was the kind of widow that the scribes, would likely pay no attention to because there would be nothing for them to gain. They liked the rich widows. 
So the, the rich and this poor widow come into the temple and they're putting their gifts into the treasury. Uh, here's how a commentator describes how this was done. The time of sacrifice was passed, and those who still lingered had remained for private devotion, for private sacrifices, or to pay their vows and pay their offerings. Although the topography of the temple, especially of this part of it, is not without its difficulties, we know that under the colonnades, which surrounded the court of the women, but still left in the middle room for more than 15,000 worshipers, Provision was made for, relig- for receiving religious and charitable contributions. All along these colonnades were the 13 trumpet-shaped boxes called the shofaroth. Somewhere here also we must locate two chambers, that of the silent for gifts to be distributed in secret to the children of the pious poor, and that where votive vessels were deposited. Perhaps there was also here a special chamber for offerings. These trumpets, these trumpet-shaped boxes, bore each inscriptions, making the objects uh, or marking the objects of contribution, whether to make up for past neglect. There was a past neglect box to pay for certain sacrifices to provide incense, to provide wood, or other gifts. So here here are all these boxes, and people are able to come into the temple and make designated gifts, which we don't allow. Some making a show of how much they put into those trumpet-shaped boxes. Others making no show but, but putting in much more. These coins that the widow offered, these two small copper coins, had the lowest value. It was the least denomination, right? Interestingly, it, was, it wasn't lawful, according to the rules the chief priests had put in place, to put in any less than what she put in. She gave the absolute minimum you could give. Now, notice how Jesus describes the offerings of the rich. He says they put, they all out of their surplus put into the offering. Compared to this widow, the the rich put in much more value, much more monetary value, but it was no sacrifice for them. They took a safe portion of their surplus, their savings, their excess, their extra, their earnings, their uh, or their their inheritance that they did not need for daily living. It, it, It was their investment income. The widow, on the other hand, gave out of her poverty. It says, putting in all that she owned. All that she had to live on. Excuse me. So she doesn't have, she doesn't have certainly anything for the rest of this day. But she doesn't have very much. She would leave the temple that day knowing that if she was not cared for by somebody else, 
or did not find some sort of work, some sort of, some sort of odd job to make money, she was not going to eat. And it's at this point that we begin to judge this widow, isn't it? You're doing it. I know you are. As rich Americans who not only have surplus cash, but who also have insurance and retirement plans and accumulated possessions on top of that, we cannot fathom having nothing and then giving away what little we did have. Our well-paid financial advisors would, would discourage such actions. And in fact, not only that, but we, we draw scripture in, right? We begin using scripture against this widow and against her actions and to justify our own actions, right? A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Why was she not saving? Why was she not making what she needed and more than, than she needed, right? So that she could hand something on to her children. Why could she not get it together, we reason? Doesn't she know that if, if she were to make more, she could give more? No, God bless me with riches so that I can give lots to the church. That never happens. And so we, we start to judge this widow. She doesn't fit into our paradigm. She, sh- she certainly doesn't reflect our own practice when it comes to money. But what is the judgment of the Son of God? What is the judgment of the Son of God? Does he call the widow foolish for giving all that she had to live on? Does he question the prudence of her actions? No, he doesn't. He contrasts her offering to the offerings of the rich and says, This poor widow put in more than all of them. She put in more than the rich combined. Because it was all she had to live on and their offerings were from their surplus. It was imprudent. But it was faithful. The Son of God commends her for the magnitude of her offering. And the magnitude of that offering was not defined by the denomination of the coin she she put into this box. The magnitude of that offering was defined by the faith that accompanied those two measly little coins. She trusted God. She trusted God as she gave all that she had to live on. Perhaps she prayed Psalm 37, verse 25. Maybe she hummed it as she put those two coins into the box. I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging bread. The scriptures teach us that God loves a cheerful giver, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. And that each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, 
Jesus is commending this woman as the cheerful giver, right? What she did, she did as she had purposed in her heart, not grudgingly, which means with complaints. Ah, You know, I'll give 10%, but I can't afford to tithe. We're under compulsion, right? There's no one pressuring her. There's no one coming, coming, threatening her. In other words, even in how she handled her money, she had God in mind. Even how she handled her money. Even how she handled her money. I mean her money. Even how she handled her money. She had God in mind. Her wealth, as little as it was, was an opportunity to exercise faith in God and praise his name. As little as it was. Now, don't forget the contrast. The scribes stole from widows to line their own pockets. The widow gave to God all she had to live on. Jesus denounces the greed of the scribes and praises the generosity of the widow. And the scribes, who are the teachers of Israel, loved money. And the widow, who gave out of her poverty, loved God. The scribes had no fear of God. The widow had much. Right? The scribes would have been disappointed by the poverty of the woman because they valued only the monetary, you know, the, the monetary value of her offering. The widow valued her relationship to God and his call to be a cheerful giver. Add to this the understanding that we have of the position of widows in Israel. I mean, think of this. How a culture treats its widows determines, determines the, the depth of its understanding of God's word. Widows have a privileged position. From the Old Testament, we read um, Exodus 22, you shall not wrong a stranger or oppress him for you were strangers in the land of Egypt you shall not afflict any widow or orphan if you afflict him at all and if he does cry out to me I will surely hear his cry and my anger will be kindled and I will kill you with the sword and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless When the people of God entered the land God was giving to them, they were to to use their wealth to care for the widows. Deuteronomy 26, when you have finished paying all the tithe of your increase in the third year, right? When they got in, they were supposed to let the land grow for a few years. And then the third year, they pay the tithe, the year of tithing. Then you shall give it to the Levite, to the stranger, to the orphan, and to the widow, that they may eat in your towns and be satisfied. So the widows were to be cared for. Job is commended for caring for widows. I delivered the poor who cried for help and the orphan who had no helper. The blessing of the one ready to perish came upon me and I made the widow's heart sing for joy. In Isaiah, the corrupt and godless priests are condemned for not caring for widows. Learn to do good, seek justice, reprove the ruthless, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. And you remember what the Lord's brother James said. 
Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God is to visit, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. And the Apostle Paul tells Timothy to care for the widows of the church, even having a widow's list that godly widows were added to. And it seems that that meant that they were cared for by the church until they died. Paul says, honor widows who are widows indeed. And here are the scribes, these teachers of Israel, devouring widows' houses. And then this, and then this solitary, impoverished widow comes along. Perhaps her wealth has already been taken by these scribes, and that's why she's impoverished. And she puts in all that remains of her wealth. This is a scathing rebuke to the, to the rulers of Israel. This is a scathing rebuke to these scribes. Look at this widow. She gave in more than all those you love because they honor you. Their faithlessness and their ruthlessness has not killed the faith of this widow. Now think about these things. Some applications from this passage, some thoughts. One, Jesus saw her faithful actions. Jesus saw them. In fact, he takes note of all those things all men do by faith. He takes note of all the actions that you do by faith. And correspondingly, takes note of all those things all men do that do not arise from faith. Ryle says, nothing is too little to escape his observation. No act is too trifling to be noted down in the book of his remembrance. The same eye that sees the council chambers of kings and emperors is the eye that notices all that goes on in the laborer's cottage. All things are naked and open to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Second, God, God desires faithful actions. Right? He weighs our actions with, with a different scale than we are prone to use in weighing our own actions. Right? We're impressed when the, the philanthropist gives from his surplus to build a hospital because of his supposed love for humanity. But not so impressed with the poor man who gives all that he has to his church out of a simple love for God. But God examines the hearts of each of those men, and one day when, when treasure is no longer an idol, the poor man will have an immense wealth, and the rich man will ask for relief from the burning heat of hell. Third, until a man learns that all he has has been given to him by God for his stewardship, it does not matter whether he has a lot or he has a little, he will not use his money or his talents, his blessings for the glory of God. We have been given stewardships. right? The scribes forsook that calling and decided to steal from widows. The widow... The widow understood this and decided to give to God what was God's. 
She knew him. She knew God to be a good provider. Even willing to test God in that. The scribes trusted in themselves, and so what did they have to do? If you trust in yourself, you better scheme. They were the kind of people who said, What I have is due to my hard work. You think it's easy to, to trick widows? The scribes thought that life consisted in their possessions, not so the widow. Jesus said, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Fourth, I have from time to time heard people say they cannot afford to give to the church. This widow is a rebuke to you, if that is your attitude. That kind of statement refuses to acknowledge the previous point, that all you have is a gift from God. And it shows what you really believe concerning God, that he is not a father who cares for his children. You have a hard time wrapping your head around that. And so what it reveals is a weakness in faith, not not just a weakness in generosity, but a weakness in faith. Fifth, freely we have received, freely we ought to give. Right? God has given us true riches in what? In the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Right? And yet what is precious to us is our moth-susceptible wealth. Right? That shouldn't be. Our perspective changes when we have a knowledge of Jesus Christ, when we realize that the wealth we we have is, is the pearl of great price. When we understand that our treasure in heaven, Jesus himself, is safe, unlike the wealth of this world, which, which devours men and is unsafe. Sixth, God does not want a portion of your surplus. He wants what corresponds to faith in him. What does that mean? Well, it would, it would vary accordingly, as he is allotted to each one faith. Right? Some of you have, have become like the scribes when it comes to wealth, more concerned about the accumulation of it than the parting with it or the use elsewhere. But for some, the resource that God has given that you have a hard time parting with is time. And you've been spending it on faithless, self-centered gobbledygook. Right? That should not be. Use that time like the widow used her last two coins as an opportunity to worship God, to, to, uh, to thank God, to trust God, to depend on God. And so assess your use of your time. Is it more like the scribes' pursuit of wealth for their own power and prestige or more like the widow for God's glory and for your spiritual good? The principle is this. 
God looks to and fro about the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. That widow showed by her actions that her heart was completely his. And she went away with what? God's strong support. Wow, what what a thing to leave that temple with. That is faith. That's faith, is it not? He who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. And that is not just vibes, that seeking him is faithful actions, it's obedience to his commands, and yes, actions arising out of love for him and his kingdom. So often we are content with giving God only a portion of our surplus. And I can't help but think it's because we believe that God is pleased with a heart that is half his. No, God looks to and fro about the earth for those whose heart is completely his. Seven, notice what Jesus does not condemn. He does not condemn the widow and the rich for giving to a corrupt institution. (laughs) Right? These rules, these 13 trumpet-shaped boxes are not found in Scripture, and we know what the religious leaders of the day were like. He's just condemned them. Right? And yet, here is Jesus remaining silent, having just days earlier overturned the tables of the money changers. And so this... This should cause those who will only tithe or give to the church, if it meets with their criteria, reassess their view. God loves a cheerful giver, not a judgmental giver. Those who receive tithes and offerings also have a stewardship that God will hold them accountable to. Right? And... and, Uh, The tithes and offerings that come into the church are stewarded by the elders of the church. God will hold them accountable. But we are to give even when something new rubs us the wrong way, for example. Some are excessively censorious in the way that they give to the church. Right? I'm guilty of this. And yet here the widow is commended for her faith, by which she gave, even though it is likely her giving would be used in a way that was more, uh, that was corrupt. That would lead to other widows being fleeced for their money. Eighth, and this is from Ryle, let us beware of lightly using the expression, giving our might in reference to giving money to religious or charitable causes. The phrase is often employed without thought or consideration. If people would give their might really and literally, as the widow gave hers, many would have to give far more money than they ever give now. Her might meant something that she gave with immense self-denial and at great sacrifice. Most men's mights nowadays mean something that is not felt not missed, and makes no difference to their comfort. 
If all people gave their might as the widow gave hers, the world and the church would soon be in a very different state. Ninth, if you are poor, if you are poor, take encouragement from the widow. You have the power of doing great good and glorifying God with what little wealth you have. Outgive the rich. Shame the rich. Shame the rich by your generosity and your faith. Any pastor worth his salt would rather have a church of faithful poor men than a church of strings-attached rich men who think that God and his church are beholden to their wealth. That is shameful. Tenth, testify to the world that all that you have belongs to God. Everything, everything you have belongs to God. Be faithful with what you have been given. Be generous toward others with what God has been generous in giving to you. Be good stewards of what you have. Clean the car and the house that you have as expressions of gratitude toward God. Think of the wealth you have in different terms entirely. The wealth you've been given, for example, in your children. There's true wealth. But are you being a good stewardship of those rich? Are you being a good steward of those riches? Are you raising them for Christ's kingdom, for the kingdom of, uh, or for the kingdom of your own ego? This widow gave out of her poverty, out of her lack, and was likely more content than those rich men who were putting in out of their surplus. Her portion was the Lord, and with that she would be content. Is that you? Is that you? Is your portion the Lord? Is having to depend upon God too much for you to bear? Is the knowledge of the living God and the blood of Jesus Christ... Shed for the forgiveness of sins the basis of your contentment, or must you have something else? What precious thing will you not give up? The widow knew, she just, she knew her true riches. Psalm 17 describes the wicked this way it says, The wicked are men of the world whose portion is in this life and whose belly. God fills with his treasure. They are satisfied with children and leave their abundance to their babes. That's the wicked. Right? Donald Trump Jr. And then David's desires are contrasted to that. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. I will be satisfied with your likeness when I awake. I pray that this is true of us. May we have the faith of the widow who gave all that she had to live on. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for the faith of this widow. We thank you that Jesus Jesus pointed it out and that by your Holy Spirit it was recorded for us in Scripture. We thank you for... Jesus' rebuke of the scribes because it it hits us in our flesh. And Father, I do pray that you would increase our faith. 
Increase our faith so that, so that the wealth that you've given to us would not have a stranglehold on us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.